turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Because John pulls in a lot from the Old Testament. Jesus riding clouds. Is he riding a cloud? Is it like a black rain cloud? No. Go to the Old Testament. Judgment, the clouds, the darkness, the wrath of God. It's not an actual little cloud up there. And so you can look at all these in Zechariah. They talk about actually the olive trees and, and what the lampstands mean. He said they are representative olive trees and lampstands standing for, before God. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. Thank you for joining us here at Westside Christian Fellowship, located in Leona Valley, California, one hour north of Los Angeles. Today on Regaining Lost Ground, we hear part one of this chain-breaking message from Pastor Shane titled, Calling Down Fire, an Awful Weapon in the Hand of God. Hebrews 13, 7-8 tells us, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today, Pastor Shane confronts the challenges facing the church, facing the world. Are you ready for a life change? Are you weary of feeling defeated? Listen now to the truth of God's living word as Pastor Shane echoes the pages of scripture by calling all to deep humility and repentance. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, and it is to your eternal benefit for you to act upon. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. You can hear the whole message at Pastor Shane's YouTube and Rumble channels. Make sure to subscribe today. For more information, visit us online at westsidechristianfellowship.org. We also encourage you to hear more truth from Pastor Shane with the Idleman Unplugged weekly podcast. And now, from Westside Christian Fellowship in Leona Valley, California, here's Pastor Shane Idleman. The title, I love the title, I'll just be honest with you. Calling Down Fire, an Awful Weapon in the Hand of God. Now the title is twofold, and I couldn't decide on which one to use, so I said, hey, let's do a subtitle. Um, and I actually turned it into an article that will be going out on the national media uh, this week, and I think you have it if we passed it out, I believe. Now Calling Down Fire, we're in Revelation uh, 11 now, right? Or Revelation 11. He's going to actually... We're going to talk about calling down fire. And then I love a quote that Robert Murray McShaney said uh, back in the 1700s, I believe, early, maybe early 1800s. He said, a holy minister or even a holy person is an awful weapon in the hands of God. And it reminds us that that's really how we're going to confront our culture these days. It's not going to be by politics, although there has an importance from time to time. It's not going to be about protesting, although that can be important. It's not about not going to Target. Amen? 
even though that can be, you know, I know it's hard, but it's, it's, we, we do these things, but the bottom line is to really affect and change our nation. We're going to be, need to be filled with the fire of God. And a holy person is an awful weapon in the hands of God. I have found that that's how God works is through holy vessels with the fire of God's spirit. You don't have to be perfect to sign up for this mission, but you have to be committed. The fully surrendered life isn't so important. But let me explain the title too just for a minute. Just as the world, just as the world needs to hear about salvation through Christ, Christians also need to be motivated and encouraged to go deeper. Now, this is one of the things that separate me. Some people say, you know, you've got a calling of an evangelist, which I do. I, I feel that, but I also feel called to wake up the church. And it's hard to you know, it's, it's kind of hard to straddle that line because you're, you know, why don't you do this more often? Why don't you do this more often? I don't know. I'm just trying to be faithful to what God's called me to do. I'm not Billy Graham. It's not always going to be about salvation. It's also going to be to wake up the church and to wake up the woke. And so that's why this is so important. Sometimes we need to be encouraged to go deeper. That's when I started to go deeper is when actually old books, <laughs> authors over a hundred years ago, I would read them and I go, oh, that still happens today? On revival and reading on Spurgeon's life and Wesley and Whitfield and Reformers and, and people like John Wycliffe or John Huss or William Tyndale, the Tyndale Publishing, those men, 1200s, 1300s, were actually two of the ones I just mentioned were burned at the stake. Burned, killed. Have you ever been set on fire even a little bit? And they said, recant, recant, we can't recant. All they did was often was put the Bible in the, in the, the tongue of the common person. And I read them and I get on fire and how revival broke out and how people, and that's why I talk about fasting because often prayer and fasting would prompt a lot of these spiritual awakenings from God. We have as much of God as we want. Is our powerless due to prayerlessness? And I, I read this this week, and I want to tie it in. It, it, the Bible talks about rejoicing with the wife of your youth. And, and the good, men, this is a good message for you too, this little, this little rabbit trail. And it says to always be enraptured with her love. And also how that pursue, how that can relate to pursuing Christ, that word enraptured, if you look it up in the Hebrew language, it means to be inflamed to be excited about, to be aroused, to be kindled, to set ablaze, to be fired up. Now, I know when I say that, people say, oh my goodness, I don't have that. And see, there's something in the Bible where we can't go by feelings. We have to go by what God's Word says. And you have to stir yourself up to these things. Because it goes on to say, why should you not, why should you be enraptured by an immoral woman? And I thought instantly it being raptured and being enraptured by Christ and the things of God, or we can be led astray by immorality and the things of the world. And it's that, isn't that the battle of the Christian? I was also reading, I think yesterday in, in Proverbs where it talks about the simple man. He walks by the, the house of the adulteress. And it says uh, he lacks understanding. He lacks wisdom. And that says he walks by the house. Wrong place. 
at night, wrong time. And it says he, she entices him. She lures him in, lures him away from that right path. And that's the battle that Christians face today. So be encouraged. Yes, the proof that there is a battle also proves that there is something very important that we're fighting for. And I wanted to encourage this, uh, encourage you to read it, Fire Upon the Altar. It's a book, Gene Easley. Nobody really even heard of him. I hadn't. It's, it's an older book. Fire Upon the Altar. And this morning, at morning worship, I don't know if you know, but we opened the church at 6 a.m. and we just put worship on. You can bring a little light. You can read the words. You can come to the altar. Then we go into prayer at 7.30. But I came across this. He said, when there is no communion with God... Our lives are spent in darkness. We see nothing. We hear nothing. We have no answers. Spiritual death sets in. Anybody been there? But at that place of prayer, God has promised to meet us. And there we will be given the answers. He said a Sunday morning blaze won't suffice. There must be fire upon the altar continually. The spiritual battle in which the Christian is engaged is fierce. It is no game. Satan is intent upon destroying the presence of Christ from our lives. There are no vacations from spiritual warfare. That is why the fire must be kept burning. And of course, what he's talking about, maybe not a lot of you know, but in the Old Testament, how important it is, the altar, right? Did you know that God actually lit the fire for the sacrifices? It came down from heaven. He lit it. And then what did He say? Now you keep it going. And it's that, that balance of God's sovereignty, yet I have a responsibility. And the fire of God is so important. And we're going to talk about that in Revelation 11, 1 through 3. And if you want to get caught up, you can go back and hear the other messages. And John said he was given a read as he's taken up into this vision of heaven and, and, and seeing things that, that he writes down that quite honestly are hard to kind of put together. It's not like opening the first Corinthians and, oh, this makes sense. It's like allegory and simile and metaphor and, and, uh, some things literal and some things aren't. And a lot of commentaries are, divided on exactly what was happening. But he said, I was given a reed like a measuring rod. So he has this, how they would, um, they didn't have a, a Stanley tape measure back then. Everyone know that? It was probably like, you know, one, two, my dad used to do this a lot. Well, that's about six feet. Right? But they would have a standard and usually, you know, from here to here or a rod where they would measure things. And he was given this rod and the angel said, the angel actually stood and he said to this, he, he told John to take action. He said, rise and measure the temple of God, measure the altar and those who worship there. And as we talked about before, this altar was a place of death that ultimately gave life. And that's why we encourage people to come to the altar. It's not like there's some special power there or there's a, you know, some, some anointing there and you're good. But it's, it's a place of death that gives life. God, I am dying to self. I can't figure out this problem. I need your help. 
I'm going to humble myself and seek you and ask for direction. And I actually just threw this in, how to know God's will. It was from last week. I wasn't able to get to it. But the best way to know God's will. <laughs> you see it? Three words. Let's wake up. Thanksgiving service. <laughs> the best way to remove to know God's will is to remove self-will. They compete against each other. And I, I was texting Ray. Thank God for our usher team. Twelve guys here yesterday getting the sanctuary ready. And um, thank all of you guys for doing that. And of course, Luke and Sarah and Jai, the whole team is just amazing. You guys, you guys think I lead the church. I don't. I just come and say what I need to be said. And a whole group of people help the church keep going. But anyway, I'm like, hey, we need to get some 12-foot ladders and just stick them up right here. I saw this analogy on Instagram. And you put one foot on each ladder, right? And it's like, I want the world, but I also want God. And I, I'm not going to go, I can't climb either. So I have to let go of the world and hold on to this ladder and know God's will. And that is, is he had to take, take action here. He said, do this, take action. So how to know God's will? If you're having a hard time knowing God's will, remove self. Self-will. Self-opinion. Self-righteous. I'm a self-made man. Self, 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 self. Now, it doesn't mean you'll instantly have the, the, the key or the knowledge. Now, oh, now I know completely what God's will is. But now at least you're lined up correctly. Hey, Lord, I don't know about this job. I don't know about this move. I don't know about this situation. But I'm giving up my will, my fear. Hello? My discouragement, my doubt. And I'm just giving that up and whatever your will is in this area. I will, I will follow. But the angel said, but leave out the court. So don't measure the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. In other words, they're clothed in brokenness. They're clothed in the anointing of God. And um, <laughs> Looking at the different commentaries, it, it really all depends on what your view is of the end times. If you're an all-millennial, pre-millennial, post-millennial, they, they all view that differently. Because Jesus, you know, His ministry was three and a half years, so they'll kind of tie that in. Or uh, Titus conquering Jerusalem, you know, about that time, or it's something coming up in the future, right? Where the, where the, where, and of course, you, will, you could tie in Daniel um, with the three and a half year period, the tribulation, the Antichrist, uh, supposedly will make a covenant. And it's, those things are hard for me because it's not real, it's kind of not real clear. You have to, you know, kind of pull in some things. And all we know is we'll see. We'll see. We'll know in the future whose view is right. And if you get caught up on these different views, and, and it sidetracks you from following Christ, you will get off track. And I will give power to my two witnesses. Who are these witnesses? Well, that's another interesting debate. Commentaries are divided as well. 
I will give power to my witnesses, two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. Now, it's, it's interesting. He's going to seal up these witnesses. What does seal mean? It means, it means a protection. There's a protection there. And then treading the holy city, Daniel 7.25. I knew I had it there somewhere. He talks about those who will speak against the Most High. And they will oppress His holy people and they will try to change and set times and laws. So many think that is coming up in the future where a leader is going to try to set, uh, change things. And isn't that pretty possible now? I mean, AI to me is a little alarming. Just a little... Have you heard of deep fakes? Deep fakes. They can take a person's face and their voice and make them do things that they're really not doing. Especially for stealing their information, different things. We see laws and, and things that could be changing here in the future. The holy people, Daniel said, will be delivered into the hands for a time, times, and half a time. So Daniel, many say that this is that, that portion where for the 42 months and, 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 and what's going to happen here in the future. And Jesus even talked about it in Luke. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and they will be led captive into all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now again, that just in case you haven't been here, that could be something coming up. Uh, some people tie it into what happened in Jerusalem when a lot of this actually did happen in 70 AD under Titus. Uh, they were this exact thing happened. Um, but is the time of the Gentiles fulfilled at that point? Probably not. So you can see how this could be a future event. But these two witnesses, they will proclaim God's word. I will give my two witnesses and they will prophesy. Now this is interesting. These two witnesses, they're not going to teach. The word is, is, is specific, especially if you look it up in the Greek. And what is it, what does the Greek language mean? What's the tense of it? What's the, what's the thrust of it? It is to proclaim God's truth. It's to prophesy. And often people don't like to hear it. Correct? The prophets prophesy. Were they popular? <laughs> no. No. <coughs> look at it today. Look at, look at bold Christians today. Those are the ones being persecuted the most. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. But thank God he raises up a rumble for every YouTube. And Elon Musk, I don't know where he's at spiritually, but I'm glad he bought Twitter because things were going in a very... I don't know if you realize how censored we were becoming. It's amazing God just does things like this, in my opinion. But those who prophesy, those who speak God's Word truthfully and boldly are not popular. The world doesn't like them. Carnal Christians sure don't like them. The prideful and the arrogant Pharisee disdain them. And so these two witnesses are going to prophesy. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be a seeker-sensitive message. <laughs> it's probably going to be like what Jesus, when He came on the scene in John the Baptist, repent, 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance. Repent, you stiff-necked people. Repent. You've drifted from God. Turn back to Him. They're not going to be popular, but they are going to be powerful. And then Revelation keeps going to eleven, chapter 11, verse 4. Actually tells us who the witnesses are. And we can get a lot more controversial <laughs> on the different topics. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. What in the world are you talking about? So the two witnesses are two olive trees and two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Now stop there for a minute. Remember what I told you, that first bullet point? To really understand Revelation, and I haven't fully exhausted this. There's so many cross-references to the Old Testament. To really understand Revelation, you've got to understand Old Testament imagery and language. Because John pulls in a lot from the Old Testament. Jesus riding clouds. Is He riding a cloud? Is it like a black rain cloud? No. Go to the Old Testament. Judgment. The clouds, the darkness, the wrath of God. It's not an actual little cloud up there. And so you can look at all these in Zechariah 4.3, 4.11, They talk about actually the olive trees and, and what the lampstands mean. And so he said they are representative of olive trees and lampstands standing for, before God. And if anyone wants to harm them, I love this part, Fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. God doesn't play. That would have been another good sermon title, huh? God don't play. They have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues as often as they desire. So most of you just reading this go, oh, I've heard this before. I've heard this in the Old Testament. Who was able to do things like this? Moses and Elisha? Exact same things. So that's why many think if there are two witnesses on the scene, that they would be Moses and Elisha. Barnes commentary, one of the ones I use from time to time. I try to use different ones. I don't just use, uh, you know, all commentaries that are, that are, you know, what a pre-tribulation dispensational, what most people believe. I don't use just all millennial. I, I like to, like, what do these, what do these great men of God say? As the olive tree furnished oil for the lamps, the two trees here would seem probably, properly to denote ministers. And no doubt the candlesticks or lamp bearers are churches. Now, not sure I agree with that, but interesting nonetheless. And a lot of times too, you have to understand, as, as I learned years ago, not, there, there's exceptions to this, but often a commentary like this one won't talk about the supernatural because they already don't agree with the supernatural. You know, the gifts have ceased. They're not for us today. So it's kind of hard to, you know, to say that this is actual something supernatural happening because they don't believe that. So commentaries are also bent on what the author believes. Many of you, you know, if you read the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible, how many of you have that? I tease Luke sometimes and I call it the elect standard version. Uh, because when they go to translate certain words, they'll have a Calvinistic bent to them. And so as you read, it's more, it's more like a Calvinist wrote it. Or others, the NIV will have more like an 
like an Armenian, and they'll, you know, and so it's, that's the thing with translations and commentary. You have to remember, they're people, just like us. You've been listening to Regaining Lost Ground with Pastor Shane Eidelman. You can find more information at westsidechristianfellowship.org. That's westsidechristianfellowship.org. And for all the latest on what God is doing with His ministry here, please be sure to follow us on most social media platforms. Westside Christian Fellowship is located 60 miles north of Los Angeles in Leona Valley, California. Thank you again for listening to today's message of Regaining Lost Ground, where we are reminded daily, times change, truth does not. Regaining Lost Ground is sponsored by the generous supporters of the ministries of Westside Christian Fellowship.